Welcome back to another Noodleberg Daily Huddle. Thanks for joining us this morning and choosing to own the morning with us. So give us the story. Tell us about John Cougar Mellencamp last night. First of all, kudos to you for the recommendation for the restaurant. The Catherine, off the chart. Really, really really cool. Um, Ran into a bunch of people there. It was very small. It was exactly what we wanted last night. It was great. Um, How about this for a dish? Clam chowder fries. Yeah. <laughs> to the guy like, okay, what are, what, are, what are clam chowder fries? And he tells me, oh, the chef makes a special clam chowder, puts little neck clams in there, and in the middle is homemade, home fresh cut French fries. I was like, what? You know? Right. So, so we had a great dinner. We get to the show. We're pumped. We have great seats. Center, boom, we're looking and the lady says that when we're walking in, hey, um, you'll be able to go back and forth. There's no opening act. We're, there's a 30-minute movie. Like, I'm like, oh, she was kidding. You know, it was like, okay. You know, so we sit there for a little bit. They pay, they, look at this, it's like a movie house. They played 15-minute, um, uh, sorry, five-minute clips of six black and white movies, Streetcar Named Desire, um, you know, just a couple of cool ones. Classics. On the waterfront. Um, But, you know, you're sitting in an audience that's waiting to hear John Mellencamp. People start to freak out. 10 minutes in, rumbling. 15 minutes at a concert, people are like, what the fuck is going on? Yelling. And I'm, you know me, I'm like, who does this guy think he is? Like, what is this thing? Yeah. 30 sirens go off, like real sirens. Everybody's freaking out. Band comes up and they lit the stage on fire. I mean, they absolutely were fantastic. He's an amazing, amazing storyteller, which the lesson here is he didn't just play his music. He talked his music. He lived it. You know, uh, it comes out. Every show to me is that's what it comes down to. Like, you know, most shows you're going to go see, they should have a good book of music. They should have a good catalog of music to go through. But if they're, it's not, if it's not, you know, woven with stories and it's not in between of connecting with the audience and kind of letting you into who they are, I thought obviously the Genesis concert, Phil Collins did an amazing job of that. You know, most recently seeing uh, seeing Jay Cole in concert, you know, a couple of years ago, he did the exact same thing. That to me is what really brings the concert to life and makes it more than the music. The, the, but like talking about it before the show, the fact that he's 71, 71 and like probably the peak of his career was 40 years ago in the early 80s. Like, that's crazy, but just to continue your craft and keep going, it's super Let me show everybody the current 71-year-old John Mellencamp. Shay, show me. 
I'll get us out of the little songwriting 101. A song consists of a verse, sometimes two verses, and then the chorus, which is where you guys can jump. You jump the second verse. It took me a long time to write that second verse, so I'm going to sing it. Sing it on, sing it out. Side of the tree, dancing on Jackie's lap, got That's super cool that he stopped everybody right there. Was like, no, you got everybody just screwed up the song. Everybody just ruined it. And he took a long time to write that verse. We're gonna sing it. You know, an acoustic set. And he goes in the like in the back of the band. He talks to them for a second. He comes out. He's smoking a cigarette. You're around performing. Oh, it's the guys on stage. Smoke is going everywhere. And he goes, uh, you know, news travels slow to Indiana. He goes, so I heard these things are not good for you. So it was just really fantastic. Bob gets it right on the head. 71, 71 is the new 51. 51. I love it. Um, he was energetic. He was there. Fantastic. Um, if you get a chance to see him, he has 75 other dates coming up throughout the U.S. Go see him. Um, before we uh, do huddle music, um, we had a nice uh, call yesterday. So we'll talk yeah. about the GOTB call. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know about the GOTB community, it is a community of professionals that are committed to their development and getting 1% better. And at the end of every month, we have what we call as the accountability call. So you should spend the month in the facility training, working through the teachings and trying to implement. And then the whole point of that call at the end of the month is to talk about what you've been doing, how it's been going, and how we can find a way to get it 1% better. And it was really that. I mean, we talked about some traveling to events and how to really, you know, follow up after events and what some of the new skill sets are for that. We dove into LinkedIn as we normally do. But uh, the crazy part about it is you don't know who's going to show up, right? I mean, the whole community has the invite, but there could be three people there. There could be 50 people there. You have no idea how many people are going to be there. So yesterday ended up being more of an intimate call for the people that were on it. And I, th I thought it was super valuable. Jonathan Aarons definitely thought so. He posted about it this morning. So uh, good stuff. So uh, let's, Shay, let's wake this thing up. We do have some great content today. We're going to focus on the new uh, Jeff Bezos. Have you seen him recently? The guy is jacked, man. <laughs> just like, but I guess that's what you can do if you have all the money in the world, man. Got to find something to kill your time. Wake it up, baby.
so um, I'm going to give a little shout out here. I love when I see brotherly love. Yeah, um, and I'm going to give fatherly love. The two of you are on fire. I being the cynic. I mean, I've been in LinkedIn a long time and most people's stuff. I just doesn't resonate with me. I'm a tough audience. You guys every day are putting out amazing, amazing thought provoking stuff. When you talk about reverse mentoring, it's a perfect example of what I'm learning from you and what I'm now learning from this firecracker that uh, just awoke. But he put out a post with a poll and I don't really do polls, but I thought it was a really good poll and I want to show you the results. Do you regularly use an alarm to wake you up? Yeah. So right after wake up music, here we go. We're having a wake up conversation. 64% of the people said they use an alarm clock. Do yeah. you use an alarm clock, sir? Absolutely, I do. You think I'm waking up at 4.15 automatically? Like, I don't go to bed until somewhere between 9.30 and 10.30 every night. So, like, 4.15, I need an alarm clock to get up. I find that mind-boggling. I haven't used an alarm clock in 25 years. I mean, you know, whatever, and I know a lot just of people. Just so you know, right, with, with that data that you just gave me, you haven't used an alarm clock in 25 years. I technically still have eight years before I need to stop using an alarm clock. So I got time to work up to that point to where I can stop using it. You know, I, I forget, like, when I was 36, I just didn't sleep. I was right. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was like, uh, I posted yesterday about, you know, this 10-minute brain boost and taking a break. And somebody I did a lot of work with, uh, Janice Bankin, reached out. She goes, I never thought you took breaks. She goes, I'm so happy to see that you're considering it. You know, so yeah. uh, very cool. Jamie Tribble says she has not used an alarm clock in three years and still gets up at 5 a.m. I believe well done, Jamie. The heart, I believe it's the heart of mental conditioning. You train your brain to do the things you want. And and like I wake up before my alarm, alarm clock, which Jake says he does regularly as well. Well, so uh, there's a there's actually science behind this. And there's a whole thing called sleep inertia that your body is supposed to wake up at the end of a sleep cycle. And sleep cycles take anywhere from 75 to 90 minutes to complete. And if you interrupt that sleep cycle, it actually ruins the next four hours or has the ability to ruin the next four hours. Your, your body has to recover from being jolted out of the middle of a sleep cycle. What's cool about using the whoop is that you could set your alarm for a time frame so that you're not going to get up any later than the time that you want to get up. But it will wake you up at the end of a sleep cycle that's closest to the time that you want to get up, which is supposed to be far better for you, far more healthy, and help you get started the right way in the beginning of the day. Look at Nick, man. Well, I know Nick is referencing uh, Mel Robbins right now because Mel Robbins is um, all of her stuff. She has been on a rant about how bad the snooze button is for you, but it actually points back to that data about when you hit the snooze button and you start to drift back into sleep, you start another sleep cycle. And so then in nine minutes, nine minutes into a 75 minute sleep cycle, you're interrupting your body and it makes it that much harder for you to get up. So, you know, there's just real data behind it on how to help set yourself up the best way possible to waking up. Alarm clocks really aren't the best thing, but you got to do what you got to do. 
Um, awesome. Before we get into the Jeff Bezos stuff, um, let's play some motivational music. And wouldn't you know who? I'm fired up for some Ella Camp. Let's go. Let's go. Is 40 years old. 40 years old. That song was released in 1983. It's older than I am, yet I know that song. I love that song. And that just goes to show you the testament of good work. Good work never gets old. So I, I don't have this on here, but I want to kind of throw uh, something out. So I worked out with him this morning and I tried to bail last night. I sent him a note. I said, look, this is going to be a late night. I really going to be out of my sleep cycle. Can we move to Friday? And he said, I already have somebody in your slot. I go at six o'clock with him. Um, he said, I already have somebody in your slot. I said, okay, leave it, whatever. So uh, I got up the regular time, got downstairs, warmed up. He came, we were starting to get into the workout and I was telling him about Mellencamp and he goes, wow. He goes, that's really cool. Like you're a performer and you're engaged in other people performing, watching what they do and supporting it. And I was like, you know, I never really thought about it like that. But it was really cool the way this guy handled the audience. And to me, the best kind of learning is in, you know, right there. It's like yeah. you just hang around, man. You hang around the people who are doing it right. That's the tipping point, right? I mean, that that is Malcolm Gladwell. And and the tipping point in context is that whoever you want to be like or Whatever you want to be like, you have to find a way to get around those people. You have to find a way to put yourself in those positions and in the context of those people so that you have the ability to start to develop into that. You know, and so you think about this guy 40 years later, still able to, you know, rock it and blast it. So yeah. enough John Mellencamp. Obviously, you know, I'm, I'm fired up. Anybody wants more video? I did a good job last night of taking some stuff. Um, so I want to talk about Jeff Bezos. Um, we're not going to get all of the stuff for him. I, we'll probably just land on this one topic. And um, it's a, a new word. And I look for these terms all the time. The incredible value of intellectual humility. Um, anybody want to, Mark, you want to give me a shot at what you think that is? Uh, I think it's the ability to talk about your knowledge and feelings humbly. I like that. Um, it's a little one step beyond that. Research shows the quality of intellectual humility 
or embracing the fact that you might be wrong and actively seeking out evidence that might contradict your own opinion. I mean, we could talk about this for years because once people dig their heels in, you know, there it just doesn't move. You're done. Well, you're done. You're, you stop learning. As soon as you decide that you know everything, as soon as you decide that your way is the best way and that there's no possible way for that to change, it's over. Like, it's done. The, the end is imminent, right? And, like, I, to me, I point back to early in my career where when I walked into Florida State, they were writing on the success of five years prior. I got there in 2005. And they still thought that the 2000 national championship game was the thing that was carrying them on. And so for two years, I watched the entire program go to shambles because they weren't doing anything to move forward. They weren't doing anything to keep up with the way that it was changing. In 2007, Nick Saban goes to Alabama, but he had already won a national championship at LSU. What Nick Saban was doing to make – you know, LSU successful was starkly different than what we were doing at Florida State. So we, Coach Bowden had decided and the program had decided, we figured it out. We were going to be successful doing what we had always done and it didn't work. You know, the, um, this idea, and you talk about it a lot in your leadership training, and I love hearing it, is that you got to be able to have tough conversations. Yeah. Tough conversations don't only happen at work. Tough conversations happen at home, you know, I mean, we're not willing, if you and I are not willing to have tough conversations, which we've had, you're never going to create the opportunity for growth. You're constantly going to be, you know, and a lot of organizations tiptoe around shit that needs to be done. You need to create a safe space to do that. And it says being able to fight about tough subjects without losing your cool is where the giant leg up comes from. I was not good at that. I would reach a point where the f- smoke was coming out of my ears. Man, my, my neck would get so red because, and, and this isn't what I want people to understand today. Your job is not to sell somebody on the other side. Right. You're not winning them over. Winning is them understanding their own journey of ex- exploration. It's really what learning is. It's like, hey, I don't agree with you, but let me do the research and let me go down that path. That's the fear of finding out. We're kind of, you know, showing up every wrong. You might not be the right fit. Like if you want to take it to a sales conversation, you know, it's, 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 it's being okay with not being the answer for somebody. Or if you want to have it in a leadership conversation, it's the realization that you might not be right. And I think there's far too many people, too many leadership people in leadership or salespeople that are burning capital, burning relationship capital and burning capital with the people that they're working with, trying to be right instead of saying, I may be right, but I may be wrong. Here's what I think. Here's what I know has worked in the past. Here's what I've put into practice for myself. That's been really, that's been really successful. Here's what I think will continue to make us successful. Do I know I'm right on that? No. Could I be wrong? Sure. But I'm going to need you to show me that. I'm going to need you to really take me down the journey and prove to me why I may be wrong, which most people aren't in, aren't, don't know it well enough to be able to speak it that way to help you understand how you might be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. 
So most people don't take the time to really understand and learn what they're talking about. That's right. how, you know, just shut your mouth because when you open your mouth, you sound like a fool because you haven't done the work. If you commit to the work, if someone says to me, let this whole LinkedIn thing, I, I don't really get it, but I'll do the work and I'll come back to you. I'm in a, I'm in a great place. Cause you know what? All I did was the, I'm the can opener. I opened the door, opened the lid so that you could take a peek inside and know what I know. But if right. you know what I know and you know what you know, I'm guessing if you're just smart, I think it's goof proof. You're gonna see something different. And that's sort of the basis of all of our thinking, all of our coaching. I, I was that way, you know, the art of persuasion is right. complete bullshit. Right. It's a waste of time. I'm not going to waste my time and energy persuading you to think like me or to agree with what I think. What I want you to do is go take your own journey and then come back to me and say, you know what? I think what you said is right. I'd like to learn more from you. Wow. Those are great client engagements for me. Yeah. The, you know, where, so this idea, you know, that Jeff Bezos hailed this as the hallmark of the very smartest people. Harvard professors insist it's the key to intellectual progress. Dude, if that's not a, a mic drop, then what is? Well, what was really interesting about that study is that the two test groups that, you know, were, were, were monitored or studied with a, one test group was somebody who was asked to write about something that a value that they held near and dear to them and then come into the conversation and talk about it with a group. The other group was asked to write about something that they really didn't feel any certain way about, something that they were neutral about, a neutral product, and come in and talk about it. And the neutral product group was the group that ended up in the arguments and not the value-based group because they were already thinking about something that they cared a lot about and had a, a broad understanding of, which made them able to navigate the conversation and talk more holistically about it as opposed to something that they didn't really care about, that they had a surface level knowledge about, that they felt like they had to dig in on points to prove something to people. So a really interesting study. Fascinating that these stories are everywhere, every day. Um, you know, we live in a content vacuum. You can, you know, jump in and jump out. A um, couple of shout outs. Uh, Patrick Tinney uh, coming to us from somewhere in Canada. Um, Great to see you, Patrick. Thanks but, uh, for being here. That was the opening of my, uh, none of us is smarter than all of us, was the opening to my post yesterday. So you are absolutely correct. He is a fellow author. He and I connected years ago. And then a shout out to Joanne French. Um, Joanne, you continue to impress me by your ability to just say, I don't know. I want to know. And then I'll, then I'll let you know. Yep. I want to know, you know, so great job. Great content. But a nice big crowd today. Tomorrow, uh, Tim Rappold takes the huddler in the hot seat, um, which is going to be great. I think Joanne French, we're looking for a woman. Um Joanne would be a great huddler in the hot seat. Why are we willing to tell you? Know. Joanne and I know each other like three different times in our lives. Yeah, for different sure. People. So um, stay tuned for tomorrow because Tim is a rock star who, and, and you tell, you'll be able to share this. Are you experiencing like you're the outlier at your company? You're the one doing it and people are, you know, giving you shit for doing it. Um, 
Tim's going to talk a lot about that. So uh, Jim Barrett saying hello to Joanne. He knows Joanne. All right. Let's go. After it, it's going to be a terrific Thursday. Go out, make it happen. Let's get down to business and bring down the walls. Please don't worry about me. I'm about to let my heart speak. Friends keep telling me to leave this. So let's get down, let's get down to business. Let's get down, let's get down to business.